You're listening to B2B Nation, a podcast from Technology Advice designed to help marketers navigate the modern B2B buyer's journey. Here's your host, Mike Pastor. A lot of things have been disrupted over the last year and a half, foremost among them our lives. But industries like tourism and hospitality and education have had to be really creative. For B2B go-to-market veterans like Paul Fifield, who have spent years helping create opportunities and close deals, the disruption in education presents an opportunity. You see, Paul never studied sales as part of his formal education, and he found most corporate training programs in the go-to-market area ineffective. So the convergence of disruption in the education space and the need for more effective training for B2B sales and marketing teams gives Paul and his company, Sales Impact Academy, opportunity to step up. I'm Mike Pastor from Technology Advice. In this episode of B2B Nation, we'll talk to Paul about why traditional formal education is poorly equipped for training modern go-to-market teams, why training and developing teams makes more sense than constantly hiring and firing people, and about the future of the online learning market in general. Paul Fifield, welcome to B2B Nation. Why don't you take a minute or two and tell us who you are and what you do? Oh, great. Thank you. Um, great to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. So yeah, my name is Paul. Um, currently, I'm CEO and co-founder of um, Sales Impact uh, Academy, which is a global live learning platform for go-to-market teams. Uh, we're trying to sort of upskill people in sales and customer success, you know, SDRs, sales leadership, all the, all the personas that you expect to see in a, in a go-to-market team. And we're building an education platform that can hopefully, you know, at scale, um, upskill, um, one day, hopefully hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. All right. So what are the skills that you think a lot of go-to-market teams and, and the professionals that make up those teams are lacking? Or maybe more accurately, the skills that they aren't getting from formal education? Well, it's kind of an interesting, uh, interesting question. Uh, I, I'd probably say it's, it's quite hard to answer in the fact that I mean, basically, fundamentally, the problem is there really is no formal education, right, in, in sales and go-to-market. And that's that's the core problem. And I, and I sort of rack my brains as to why. I mean, my, my, my sort of background, just to give maybe your, your viewers a little bit of understanding of where I've come from, I spent the last decade, uh, well, last two decades really, like, building companies, but the last um, decade in, re- in revenue leadership roles um, in tech, right? So I co-founded a, a company in New York, SaaS company. Um, which, which went on to do very well. I put the sales infrastructure in there. I then, I then became CRO of a student company and we went from like two to 40 million in three years and I built a 120 person team in multiple countries. So I've done the scaling journey as a, as a, as a, as a revenue leader. Um, and, you know, through that entire time, I think I really enjoyed my job, right? And one of the reasons I didn't really enjoy my job is because I didn't really know what I was doing and I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, and you know, learning on the job with the kind of venture, venture pressure of growth is just incredibly stressful, like really, really stressful because you've got to somehow carve out time for learning as well as doing, but the learning solutions really are webinars and blogs and YouTube videos and conferences. And it's so unstructured um, that you have to sift through so much crap sorry to sort of um use an obscenity but like so much crap 
out there to find the good stuff, right? So actually, even if I wanted to get better as a revenue leader and learn, which I did, I was hungry for it, you know, it was just, information was just absolutely everywhere. So it was a hugely inefficient experience. <clears throat> and this is the crazy thing, right? And so, so now I'm, I'm trying to solve this problem that I experienced personally, that made my life miserable kind of thing for 10 years that I witnessed in the people that I hired and, and, and saw this complete mix of skill sets from all these different people from different kinds of companies. And you came from one company, you had certain skills and you're lacking in others. And if you came from one company and it's just literally the whole thing's a complete mess. <clears throat> I'm scratching my head thinking, why, why is that? <laughs> what's going on here? And it's really fundamentally, and I call, I call this, Michael, like the greatest educational travesty of the last 50 years, that the global education system, without an exception in terms of a country, has totally overlooked sales as a profession. And it's and it's a, it's, a, it's shocking because actually, you know, 50%, would you believe, of the world's companies are B2B. So what we're talking about is half the world's companies' growth rests on the sales function, right? And the sales function of those companies is staffed by people who are literally just trying to learn on the job, right? The, the next question, I guess, is why? Well, I think, <laughs> I think you know, exactly. So why did this happen? <clears throat> I'm thinking that probably when you're, if you're a university and you're thinking, what are we going to teach? And surely one of our core roles is to equip students with the right skills to go into the work, into the workforce. They're probably like law. Yeah, that's quite, quite, quite clever. We should definitely do a law degree. Finance. Yeah, we know oh, that's definitely very clever. There are lots of, lots of, lots of cleverness there. So we, we should definitely do, we should definitely do finance and HR and consumer marketing and geography and all the subjects, right? Sales? No, that's like, that's easy. You just like flog stuff to people. And perhaps to give them maybe the benefit of the doubt, sales 30, 40 years ago, maybe was a lot more simple, right? Complex sales would have been fairly, you know, pockets of it, maybe like at Microsoft, right? In like the, the late seventies. And and they never, they never like went back and just said, actually, this profession called sales, is it getting any more complex? Like, should we start maybe thinking about curriculum here? And pretty much no, nobody did. And the problem is now that, you know, as you well know, and anyone listening on this, on the, on this, on this call, working in a, in a go-to-market team will know the complexity of running and building and being a member of a go-to-market team is unquestionably as complex as things you might find in medicine, things you might find in law, things you might find in finance and so you've got this nightmare scenario where this critically important profession called go-to-market stroke sales um, is you know now has absolutely no formal underlying structured education and the result is utter chaos you know what would be interesting to me is when you look at like the board of trustees of any institution of higher learning <laughs> How many of those people are like business founders and who have a background that includes sales or obviously relies heavily on sales? And yet the institution <laughs> itself doesn't really focus on those skills. I mean, don't get me started on my broader views on, on education. It's oh, but that's my next question. <laughs> <laughs> but like, why? It just like, who are these? overly academic people who are creating this curriculum right through school, right through university, which literally has very little relevance to, to, to normal life. Surely we should teach all of our kids about the stock market, about like, like getting a, getting a mortgage, right? You know, if, if so many countries have an obesity problem, make it mandatory that we all learn how to cook and cook really well with good, fresh food. 
that should be like as important as maths, as mandatory as maths. If we have a major, major obesity problem, why on earth is the educational curriculum around the world so archaic and so slow moving? And it's doing a disservice to all of us, I believe. I'm, I'm not going to get too anti-education because obviously I'm passionate about education, but I'm, I'm anti these kind of old fashioned establishments run probably by aging white men um, who are just you know overly academic and incredibly to your point removed from the real world and that brings me to one of the issues with formal education and in marketing and sales and business but in other areas as well it's slow to react to change in industries right you just touched on this when you think about b2b tech marketing and sales how much has changed in the past 25 years or so so do you feel that that's a big advantage for your sales impact academy and for other sort of online learning? You're a little bit more flexible. Maybe you're a lot more flexible. Uh, you can ton. pivot a lot quicker than the more formal education. So that's got to be an advantage for you guys. Yeah. And, and, and look, look I, I, you know, where, where I sort of come from, I'm, I'm not looking genuinely like i just want to help as many people in my industry in my profession like do, do better right i'm not like yes it's an advantage for us as a business and that's fantastic i almost wish i didn't have to do this i, I do i wish this problem didn't really exist but you make a very good point um you know back in the early days and we've only been going a couple of years but we're already heading towards 100 people and we you know the, i mean the company's gone absolutely bananas um but you know, um, we we had we we had a chief learning advisor that came on very early, a guy called Martin Hall, um, and he was the ex vice chancellor of Cape Town University, and then a real guru in online learning and online learning design and pedagogy and all that kind of good stuff. And he's been amazing for us. Um, but he said something really really interesting to me, and he's very you know he's he's a very very much a modern um, kind of like academic and and sort of intellectual, I guess if, if you like. And he said that maybe 20 years ago, right? Knowledge would have maybe lasted 10, 15 years in, 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 a, in a business context. To your point, Michael, now things have got so fast, things are moving so quickly, knowledge actually is only really relevant maybe now for two, three years. So it's come right down. So this kind of shelf, this kind of knowledge shelf life, if you like, um, has come dramatically down. And I, I, I put exactly the same question to, to, to him. I was like, well, can, can traditional university education curriculum keep up? <laughs> he just said, not a hope in hell. They, they're not, curriculum development within, within, within further education is just not dynamic. It's incredibly slow moving. So you have this like, like nightmare scenario again, which is, well, formal education cannot keep up. So literally count them out. They're not going to, they're not going to do, they're not going to do anything to help this problem. They can't. They structurally can't do it. So you have this huge like gap now. It's like, well, who's going to do it? Like, how are we going to fill this? And I think what's really interesting about the way that we're coming into this, I haven't got an education background, but I, but I'm, I'm, I'm a voracious kind of learner. And I was thinking, okay, well, okay, well, let's start from scratch. We're now creating an education company, an education solution, an education approach for the modern online you know, world. So what does that need to look like? And that's where we began. And I think fundamentally, that is that is creating such an enormous advantage for us because we are digital first and digital only. We teach remote. We have a, a, a learning approach where we teach in eight o'clock Pacific, 11 Eastern, 4 p.m. in the UK, 5 p.m. in Europe. 
So when we teach a class, teams from our, our customers can all join in the same class, whether you're in North America, South America, Africa, all of Europe or, or Israel, right? You, and you can have teams learning from these world-class experts at the same time. And we only teach two hours a week, right? Most old-fashioned sales training was overwhelmed the learner. It's a day of learning in a hotel <laughs> and, and, and terrible, ter terrible like underlying knowledge transfer. And so we've designed this as modern, as, as, as digital only, um, and, and it's working. And, and the, the, the other thing is because we teach everything live and all of our courses repeat five or six times a year, every time a course repeats, the coaches that wrote the course will update the course, right? Five, six times a year. So the examples they use are suddenly incredibly relevant, right? How many times, we, if you remember when you were at school or college, and let's say you were there in like 1995, and suddenly <laughs> you get <It> a case <laughs> study. From, right, right. And suddenly you get a case study from 1975, and you're like, from IBM or something. You're like, well... <laughs> Is this still relevant? This is like 20 years ago, this case study. And so but our approach to curriculum development is it's literally up to the minute. So like I say, the examples you use are literally up to the minute in terms of like what's going on out, on out there in the world and any new technologies, any new approaches will just automatically be um, become part of, part of the courses. And all of our coaches mainly are you know, leaders who are working today. So they're at the bleeding edge. So you're constantly, you've constantly got this very alive, constantly and frequently updated curriculum that is always, always, always at the absolute cutting edge uh, in every topic that we teach. All right. So let's talk about some of the things go-to-market teams would do well to learn and put into practice. In a couple of recent episodes, we've been talking about how go-to-market teams would do well to think like buyers maybe be more customer centric, which I think at a high level for those of us who maybe didn't set out to get in marketing, but found ourselves here, it's not a surprise. So let me pose this question to you. Why do you think that's such a challenge for some organizations to put themselves in the buyer's shoes? Yeah, this is also another good question. You got some, um, I don't know, may, maybe, maybe it comes down to like just um, em empathy, right? Um, and maybe a, maybe a lack of empathy, like you know, thinking from someone else's perspective is not straightforward thing to do. You know, m most of us do see the world from our own perspective, and we think about the world from our own perspective. We design our, our sales process from our own perspective, and we don't spend enough time really being empathetic, really understanding the other person's viewpoint and perspective. And I think that's probably one of humanity's design flaws, <laughs> you, you, you could argue, right? Yeah. Probably a great deal of the problems in the world right now are because we do as humans find it so hard to, to really, really, really fundamentally think from someone else's perspective um, and viewpoint. So I think there might be just a deep human psychological issue. Uh, I think that, 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 that perhaps inhibits us to be better at um, thinking more customer centric. And I, and I tell you one interesting thing, you know, that you can, and you can tell when a sales organization is sale, themselves centric um, versus customer centric, you just literally have to look at the sales stages in their pipeline and the, and the, and the uh, entry and exit criteria of those sales stages. And most, I would argue, <clears throat> I'd put forward, I haven't got any data on this, 
But I, I would I would bet you most of those sales processes are literally you move from one stage to the next once the seller has completed a task, right? Now that's a that's a sales team centric view of the world. What you should be doing always is you don't move that opportunity to the next stage until the the buyer has taken an action that actually you can record and you can see, right? They have confirmed that they want to move to the next stage and see uh, see a demo. They have requested a proposal, right? Whatever it might be, that's that's a that's a that's and that and that's fundamentally how you get better at forecasting, because then you're not relying on your salespeople going, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, I'm definitely moving to the next stage. They definitely want a proposal. I can, I can, I, I they, like trust me, they do. If you can't move it to that session until you can document, literally, there's an email in the CRM that says, "Yep, yeah, send me the proposal." If you, if you, if you, if you only allow proposal to go out the door once that's been that's that's happened, I guarantee your forecasting will tr- transform overnight because you're operating your sales function based on customer actions and not seller actions. The more I think about this issue and, and the more I talk to people about it, I kind of feel like it goes back to asking questions. To, to have empathy for someone's situation, you have to ask them questions about themselves. And I think you touched on it earlier, traditional sales training, we throw a whole bunch of stuff at the salespeople. Here's everything you need to know about all the products. And it becomes, whether you set out to do this or not, it becomes like a script. And when you start asking questions, there's always that chance you go off script, right? Somebody says something and you don't have the answer. You don't know the answer off the top of your head. And I feel like that's where it all goes off the rails, right? I'm yeah. not going to ask a question. Look, I have family members who are lawyers. Their number one <laughs> rule, don't ask a question you don't know the answer to. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And, and look, you know, at its fundamental level, you know, sales is, is about asking great questions, right? I mean, the, the most important st- 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 stage of a sales cycle is the discovery call. And that, that, that's about asking great questions and uncovering pain and, and uncovering implications of not solving pain. And that's good questions, sometimes brave questions. Um, but that is, that's, the, that's the absolute crux of, of good sales. If you could change one thing about the way B2B marketing or sales is done, what would it be? I mean, I think there's a, there's a, few, there's a few things that come to mind. Um, I, I think like on a, on a sort of tactical level, I I I I just make it like just if you're starting from scratch and you're building a company and you're building a revenue function from from the beginning, absolutely make sure you bring operations in in some way, like day one, right? Like and 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 we did it at Sales Impact Academy. I I you know if you can't afford someone full time, we had someone two days a week. But you get yourself into a mess within a few weeks if you don't have someone just making sure that operationally. Because sales is complex, there's data flying everywhere, it's processed, there's stages, there's documentation. It is complex from day one. Absolutely make sure that you have revenue operations. So on a tactical level, I, I, I think that's what I'd change. It would be like, well, it's, of course, <laughs> it's like hire number one or two or three. <clears throat> but if you're hiring three, I'm saying hire them all at the same time. I think, I think it's another thing, I guess maybe on a more human level, um, that I have a bit of a problem with in terms of the Silicon Valley mantra of hire fast, fire fast. I think a lot of a lot of these like ways of thinking about team building or company building 
utterly, utterly overlook the the, the humanity right, of the human at, at, at the centre centre of this. That you know, these are these are human beings. These are people that we are asking to come join our company and and, and work. And we're sort of treating them very in, in much like a commodity that is very easy to just go, hey, you're not working out. I hired you quickly. I'm firing you quickly. Hey, Michael, I'm sorry it hasn't worked out. Now, that that person has you know, committed to your company. They've worked hard. Uh, it may not have been their fault that they haven't kind of it hasn't worked out. They maybe needed a bit more time. Maybe you're crap at training. Maybe your product market fits got some problems. Maybe they're not the problem, right? So, <clears throat> I I, I want to move away from this culture. And I look at I think it comes back to the problem that we're trying to solve, right? I passionately believe if you're an intelligent person with the right with the right um, motivation, all you need is education to help you do your job. Like I can't go and fly a plane. I've got a brain. I might really want to want to want to fly. All I, the missing element is just high quality training and education on how you fly a plane. Right? That's all I need, right? But some of these sellers, they might have got, they're intelligent, they, they've, they've been motivated to want to do well, but there's just this complete lack of, of, of quality, quality education in, in, in how they do it. And as a result, I think people just don't succeed and they get fired. And it's just really sad. I, it, really, it really kind of upsets me. And I, but I think, again, it's related to this whole culture of the Silicon Valley culture of not of treating human beings like, like commodities. I have heard more people talk about this in the last 18 months or so. And I don't, I'm, it's probably the pandemic maybe that's brought it up. I mean, it's certainly, it's a problem that goes back, I think, before the pandemic. But the idea of the commoditization of people and eh, the people starting to rebel against that a bit. When you look at all of the uh, craziness going on in the job market and a lot of people that I know that have switched jobs, it kind of comes back to that. Like mm-hmm. they want more, uh, they want more from me than they're willing to give me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and look, you know, it's like I've, I've been here, this is part of my pain. VCs and CEOs, if you're missing a number, will look at the sales leader and probably fire them. The, the, did you, do you know the average tenure of a revenue leader? No, what is it? Because I know the average tenure of CMO is really short. So what's the revenue leader? Seventeen months. Yeah, it's about the same. Yeah. I don't know what I don't know what it is for, for frontline reps, but I can't imagine it's that 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 much better. Because these these VCs, who by the way, in the main have very little understanding of what it's like to, to run a sales function, very little understanding of what like what real good go to market um, is like, and a lot of CEOs have never done this before. They're completely green. Oh, so you're missing, missing the number. It's got to be a sales problem. Let's fire some people. Literally, that could be the, one of the worst things you could possibly do. Like I say, it's a symptom, like you're missing the sales number, but what is the actual problem, right? <laughs> In many cases, it ain't the sales leader and it ain't the sales reps. You know, like I say, it could go back to a whole range of issues, you know, including just product market fit or just bad onboarding on, on or whatever it might be. So I'd change that just so we need to be, we need to treat people, we need to like, you know, really invest in people, really invest in the upskilling, <clears throat> treat people like humans, especially in sales. 
What's next for the broader online learning and professional development space? It's one of those areas that was sort of right place, right time during the pandemic when people couldn't, like even kids, couldn't learn the way they have learned in the past. So there was certainly an opportunity there. It's becoming a more crowded space. Where does it go from here? How do how do the vendors like yourself differentiate? Well, look, I think, as I mentioned, perhaps, um, you know, earlier on, I mean, where, where we're at a massive advantage and, and, and massively differentiate is that we are born in the cloud. You know, we're, we're a digital, we're a digital, edu- digital education company. We, we, we've, we think about teaching through the browser. That's all we've done. Our entire approach, our entire pedagogy, our entire sh- approach to learning is all based on the digital learning experience. And I think a little bit like, you know, old, you know, when, you know, you remember the, like when, when the internet first came out, it really decimated music and it decimated like, like media. And those old fashioned companies tried to like pivot in and they were shoehorning their, 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 their print based or their analog thinking. Into First, I dig- think they tried to fight it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Some of them, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, uh, but it was the digital upstarts that 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 won, and and Yahoo was the very first example of that, probably. Um, and and there have been like dozens, well, thousands of examples of if you if you if you if you start and grow as just as digital only, um, you tend to win over the old-fashioned approaches. It's very hard to like pivot. Um, the skill sets are different, so we're, we're we're definitely at an advantage there. But look, I think that. The whole education space is absolutely ripe for massive disruption, a bit like what happened in media and a bit like what happened in, in, in music, because it's because most of it's just terrible. The economics of university degrees are just shocking. Now, according to Reforge, the global corporate training market is $200 billion. $200 billion is spent and, and just look at sales training as an example of how terrible the underlying learning design is, right? There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, at its core, there's a, there's a you know, in, in the corporate education space, there's a terrible learning design problem, <laughs> right? The content's terrible, the delivery is terrible. And, and tragically, in some cases, the content might be great, but the delivery is terrible. So the, you might as well just give up, right? Because if you're teaching in a terrible way, like old fashioned sales training, this whole, like, I don't know whoever thought this was a good idea, but it's like, hey, why don't we take all 500 reps, we'll fly them to Vegas, we'll do a week in Vegas, and we'll do sales training for a week, it's going to be great. Okay, so it's going to cost us a couple of million bucks, you know, five, whatever it is, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be great. No, it's going to be terrible. From a, okay, it's going to be great for the team to maybe feel good. They're going to go out and drink a load. Of, they're going to get completely wasted at night. And then like, forget everything they learned that day. Exactly. <laughs> not, only, not only are they going to be hungover, they're also going to be getting stressed because their phone's beeping the whole time because they're not on their deals. And, and usually it's just some, again, aging white guy with, with, with 500 PowerPoint slides. They're not going to learn anything. Even if the content was good, they are not going to learn anything. And that is, I think, a microcosm of like, or just a, a great example of what corporate training kind of is. And you can extrapolate that out across the 200 billion that's spent. 
that is a terrible, terrible waste of capital. I think, I think, you know, you can, and it's, it is absolutely happening that there are these new, you know, digital first education solutions that are coming through that are going to be absolutely disrupt traditional education and it's going to absolutely disrupt this boring, tired, old, terrible corporate training like market. We have been so rough on Vegas the past few episodes of B2B Nation. We've talked about the trade show market and its future and now corporate training events. And boy, I'm, I'm sorry, Vegas Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> ve- ve- Vegas, oh, I went to Vegas about 25 years ago and it was really cool. And, you know, there was some really like old Vegas, uh, old Vegas. I just, I don't know. It's just become Disneyland for me. <laughs> <laughs> still a great place to go for vacation maybe just not for your corporate training and events maybe maybe <laughs> what is your favorite tool what is the one tool that you can't work without if we took it away from you your productivity would screech to a halt i'm trying to, i'm trying to like i'm trying to think of a clever answer well look, i mean look, i'll give you a boring answer like you know we zoom we're a virtual company we have no office we teach using zoom I run the company through Zoom. Without Zoom, I'd be absolutely screwed. I'd say also like my Nespresso coffee machine. That would be terrible. Um, and then my CBD oil to help me sleep. So there you go. Up, is, up, <laughs> up, my up, my uppers and downers. <laughs> you've got your, you've got your work, your caffeine, and your sleep all right there. That's what else do you need? That package without any of those, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be toast. (laughs) (laughs) Paul Fifield, thanks for joining us on B2B Nation. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Many thanks to Paul Fifield of Sales Impact Academy for joining us on this episode of B2B Nation. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can find us wherever podcasts are played, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Thanks to the GoTo podcast team at Technology Advice, Amy Dunn, Sarah Wingate, Emily Whalen, and KJ Pace. And thanks to Mnemonics in the Guild for our theme song. We'll catch you next time on B2B Nation.